podcast and uh, last week we were talking with Steve Addison, good friend and brother and uh, author uh, in the movement sphere, uh, his new book, Acts and the Movement of God. It was a great conversation as we started to look at the ideas that uh, this is God's work, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's work, it's the empowering of every believer. And as we jump into the idea of of sharing good news and planting groups and multiplication, the theme of persecution and hardship came up. And it was a it was a great conversation. Thanks again for joining us, Steve. Thank you, Dave, for having me back. Yeah, and um, just um, just as we continue on the conversation on the Book of Acts and 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 your reflections out of this book. Uh, Lay, lay it out for us. What What is the book covering, just even the themes, and but also the structure of the book? Because as, as we read it, I think it's really important just to pick up what's happening where and why is it being um, emphasized. Yeah. Well, it begins in Jerusalem. And in the early chapters, Luke's laying out for us, what, what is this thing? You know, what, what are the foundational things? And he shows us how Jesus restores the disciples, and he does that by bringing them into the, the living word of God, uh, by promising them the Holy Spirit, and then giving them the core missionary task to go make disciples throughout the whole world, every place, every people group. And that's what's laid down in those, those uh, in that, certainly that first chapter. And uh, back in, in Luke 24 as well. And then, but we're still based for that first sort of set, big section of the book of, of Acts. We're based in Jerusalem. Hmm. And then the, the spirit comes at Pentecost and we see, you know, here are the elements of what's driving this whole story. It is the living presence of God through the Holy Spirit upon every believer. Uh, and why is that spirit given? To bear witness to the Lord Jesus in power. Uh, it is the living word of God that is proclaimed. Certainly by Peter, we have the, his message recorded or a, a tight summary of it. But it's also being proclaimed by all of God's people filled with the spirit. They're proclaiming the glories of God through Christ because they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So it leads to inspired speech. And then there's the core missionary task. Well, what's the core missionary task in Acts chapter 2? Well, the pinnacle of the day of Pentecost, right? Where did, where's it all building in that Acts 2? It's building to communities of disciples throughout the, um, throughout the city, overflowing beyond Jerusalem, but focused there. And what are they doing? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, they've repented and believed, they've been baptized, they're loving one another, they're being generous, they're celebrating the Lord's Supper, they're giving themselves to, to prayer and worship and the teaching of the word of God from the apostles. And God is, they're bearing witness so that God's adding to them every day. Now, Luke's amazing because that's all said in like less than a dozen verses. He says, this is what we're looking for. As the word keeps moving throughout the book of Acts, what do we see? Disciples like these in community keep popping up in every place. Well, why doesn't, why doesn't Luke tell us more about what? Well, he gives us just a glimpse 
of these communities. He never goes into such depth as he does in the churches in Jerusalem. Why is that? Because Jerusalem is the gold standard we're meant to return to. In other words, it's the model. It's, oh, well, that's irrelevant today because we're in a different world. Okay, so you're telling me we don't need prayer, we don't need worship, we don't need the word of God, we don't need love or generosity. You know, these things are what God intends. And, well, is this church formation or is it discipleship? Yes. So it's discipleship in community, and this is what it looks like. And so, so Luke doesn't say here's you do you start with it and then you get to no he doesn't start start with church and then you get to no he says they're just two ways of seeing the same reality of teaching people to follow the Lord Jesus in the context of community. So you look at that and say, wow, Acts chapter two is the whole book of Acts because already and and this happens in in that first sort of third or so, at least up until the until chapter eight. The gospel is moving out and filling the city of Jerusalem. Again, he's saying, here's the power. I don't have to tell you again every time we get to a new place. We'll just say they had some persecution and got run out of town. Because Luke's showing us some of these key themes and unpacking them so that we can fill in the blanks as he goes. And, you know, there's a big shift that begins with the call of Paul because this is in chapter 9. So we've been really focused on Jerusalem and what happens there with the murder of Stephen and the, um, the persecution launched by Saul is all the believers split from Jerusalem and go to all sorts of locations um, taking the word of God with them, making, sharing the gospel, making disciples, forming communities. So it's like we're in Jerusalem and it's all about you and all of a sudden there's this explosion in Acts 8. Paul, Paul gets converted in Acts 9. When he, by the time he gets to Damascus, there's already believers there. Where did they come? They came from Jerusalem. So even though we've got this ideal church in Jerusalem, Luke is saying, guys, there's no such thing as, you know, some mega church here in one city. This is going to get scattered to the ends of the earth. And that's that's what the movement of God looks like. Paul comes along and then there's this work in Peter's life in 10, 11, 12, and then again in 15. Where, you know, Peter's an apostle chosen by Jesus. He does signs and wonders. Uh, he's been taught and trained by the Lord Jesus for three years, uh, you know, witness to the resurrection, full of the Holy Spirit, all of that formed the church in Jerusalem. And he doesn't get it. He does not understand how we're going to fulfill this call to go to the nations and make disciples of the Gentiles of every people group. And this is when Luke, watch, Luke's saying, watch this carefully. All of his credentials are worth nothing compared to the intervention of God to revolutionise this guy who you'd think would have it all made. You know, go on TV show, he's written books like me, you know. He'd be, <laughs> he'd be a senior pastor of a church of thousands. But the good thing is Peter's out on the fringe. 
He's pressing the boundaries out of Jerusalem and the Lord gets him and he turns him up. He shakes him and turns him upside down. He drags him to Cornelius' house. And Peter says, oh, my goodness, now I understand. So who disciplines the church? Who redirects the church? It's not the thought leaders. It's not the creatives. It's not the apostles or the senior pastors or the missional thinkers. It's the living God who is hands-on, and he is going to get the gospel to the ends of the, to the Gentiles. And he's got this plan because he's bringing Paul along. And, and so Peter gets to play a part in that. See how God calls Peter in. He doesn't do it just with Cornelius. He brings Peter in, and he's changing us as he brings the breakthroughs. And then we're off and running, you know, by the time we get to Chapters 13 and 14, we see how, how Paul and Barnabas are uh, pursuing the mission to the Gentiles, targeting major world's, you know, Roman cities around the Mediterranean. And, you know, they're doing what we see in Acts chapter 2, connecting with people, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, forming them into communities, getting chased out of town just as persecution came in Acts 3, 4, and 5 for the church in Jerusalem. It comes for Paul and Barnabas. They sneak back around, and what do they do? Do they preach the gospel again? No. They strengthen the disciples and identify leaders and strengthen those communities, which Luke calls churches. And so at the beginning of Acts 13, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that the Spirit has called them to. At the end of chapter 14, they completed the work that the Holy Spirit gave them. So once they've appointed those local leaders and strengthened those disciples, they move on to fresh ground, and then every now and again they circle back. But that's the mission. That's what the mission of God looks like. So we see that pattern repeated. You know, everyone's bent out of shape because Paul and, and Barnabas had a blow up and then now all of a sudden we've got two mission teams going out. You know, what Luke's saying is, hey, people can lie to the Spirit and God will discipline them, Ananias and Sapphira. There can be persecution and God will bring breakthrough. There can be a big fight between Barnabas and Paul and they could go split. Still the mission of God keeps advancing. And by the way, Paul and Barnabas, they're big guys. They were never, they were never alienated from one another. You know, Paul still partners with Barnabas and writes lovely things about him in his letters and all of that, even, even with um, uh, John Mark. Uh, so, so this, this word going out in the power of the Spirit, creating disciples and community and raising up local leaders, circling back to strengthen and, and build them up, but then moving on. This is the pattern that continues right up until uh, the end of chapter 20 uh, in the book of Acts when Paul makes this wonderful speech to the Ephesian elders. And you can sort of say he's looking back on that time in Ephesus, but he's also looking back of, of three decades of ministry throughout the Mediterranean and he's reflecting on, and so that's a great place to go to to say, what does it look like uh, to get the job done? Then there's this strange bit 
where from, you know, verse chapter 21 right through to 28, there's trouble in Paul's life. I mean, there already was trouble, but he doesn't plant. Well, I think he planted churches in in, um, uh, in Malta, but that's another story. But he's just going, you know, from riot uh, to hearing to potentially, you know, he was almost uh, flogged by the Romans. You know, there's this whole legal thing with the Romans because the Jewish leadership are trying to stamp him out. He's running for his life from Jerusalem to Caesarea, surrounded by cavalry. And then there are these hearings and trials going on. And really, you know, Paul's Paul's in chains till. It could be the, well, certainly until he gets to Rome. So what's going on, Lord? We, we keep seeing all these breakthroughs and all this ministry and these new disciples place after place. And now you've got like the greatest missionary of all time apart from Jesus. And, and, and he's in chains. He's getting caught up in legal stuff. He's getting uh, having to defend himself. He's on ships. It's kind of like we we get to Ephesus. We see amazing um, power and signs and wonders, and just a climax of church planting. And any good church planter knows: go through all those church plants and see what's happening. But then after Ephesus, we go, yeah, we kind of ignore the rest. You know what's going on, Steve? Well. Luke's saying this is not just some biography of Paul or Peter or it's not. It is historical. It is biographical, you know, but it's not just a history of the early church. I'm writing about how God works in the world. I'm writing about the weakness and the limitations of the messengers because maybe we've never been in a shipwreck, but we've been in hospital or one of our loved ones been in hospital or We've been forced out or, or forced to return from a field or to shut something down, and we're just aware of our limitations. And Luke's saying, just have a look at the living God. You know, Jesus personally stands by Paul on that sinking ship, and, 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 and he says, Paul, not a single person on this ship is going to be lost, not a hair on their head, you know. And Paul gets to proclaim the gospel to these hard-bitten sailors and prisoners and soldiers that are escorting him and the other prisoners to Rome. And he gets to Malta, you know, and because Luke's shown us already how Paul operates, he never explained, he just says, look, you know, he healed the, the governor's, um, he heals the governor's uh, father, I think it was, and now the whole, just like Jesus in Capernaum at Peter's house, the whole of Malta turns up for healing at the door. And do you think people say, well, but he didn't preach the gospel. It's like the Paul we know in the book of Acts or the epistles, you think he didn't preach the gospel? You think he didn't make disciples in the three months he was on Malta? Of course he did. And then he sent messengers, you know, when he got to Rome to make sure somebody goes back to Malta and see how these guys are doing. So the gospel gets out. But what Luke's doing is I want you to focus on the weakness of this messenger and the glory of God. You can advance a movement of God from a hospital bed or a prison cell or 
as I was called to do <laughs> for a year and a half as a, as a builder's labourer on construction sites. Still trying to do the ministry, but hampered financially and physically and out of my depth, you know. And yet God is he's shaping us as messengers, of representatives of Christ, and that movement is advancing in ways we will may never know. And that's what's happening, you know. Paul, it's a great study. Just how, What's Paul's legal strategy? Well, he's willing to stand up for himself because he knows it is important that the Christian faith is not legally condemned by the Romans. At the moment, it's sort of snuck in under its representation as a, a Jewish faith. And uh, if it got outlawed, it, it could be tough for everyone. So he's, he is going in on defense, but he's sort of using that as a launch pad to preach the gospel. I mean, here you have. I mean, and when you read the book, you'll see um, we've got one of the Herods and Bernice. Um, we've got Festus and Felix. You know, these are top officials. And you read about their personal lives. We know snippets. They, they were very ungodly, powerful, cruel people. And Paul just wants to share Jesus with them and say, look, you know, they, they get it, like one of them explodes and says, what, you want us to be, you know, become a follower of Jesus? You want me to be a follower? Yeah, you want me. Your great learning is driving <laughs> you insane, yeah. And, and Paul says, hey, apart from these chains, I want you to become just like me. That's his strategy. In the, so he does the legal thing well, but he's not going to miss the opportunity to talk about Jesus. And the other thing that's going on, is we're on the way to Jerusalem where there's a riot and all of that, and then on the way from Caesarea to Rome on, on the ship. They're forever calling into these ports because this is the way ships went around the Mediterranean because it could be quite wild, and often you, you just sort of city hopped or port hopped. So they're, they're, they're just going shorter distances and, and dropping in for a night or two, maybe changing ships. Well, it seems like everywhere Paul goes, there's a body of believers there. There are disciples there. And they love on Paul. They give him provisions. They, you know, they meet him at the port for Rome and walk with him on the, the, the journey up to the city. Everywhere he goes, he's being celebrated. Even, you know, some of the churches along the Phoenician coast, some of those churches were started because believers fled to those cities when Paul, when Saul persecuted them. And he didn't start them as a church planter. He started them as a persecutor. And now he gets back to visit them and they weep that he's, you know, they'll never see him again. And so there's a celebration of, of what God has done. And now the baton is being passed to all these people. The other thing is he's traveling with disciples and leaders, uh, Aristarchus, I think, and Luke. You know, so they're fellowshipping together. They're, he's inputting into their lives. And in Rome, of course, he's partnering with the churches that there are at least half a dozen churches, probably more, throughout the city of Rome. Because he had freedom of people could come and, and visit him in his quarters there, chained to the soldier. It was like house arrest. But... Luke doesn't focus on that. He, he's got other purposes, and he say, just, just read into it what you've seen Paul done so, so far. And that's what he's still doing. But let me 
show you why he's in Rome. And, uh, you know, we read in, in Paul's letters during that time in Rome that the whole Praetorian Guard, these are the elite troops that guard the emperor. And Paul is chained to one of these guys 24 hours a day, and I think they ch- change the guards. Maybe you'd have to read the book, but let's say it's half a dozen times a day, and he's sharing with them and reading the word with them, and they're going back to the barracks. And then in his letters he says, oh, and also the whole of Caesar's household. There are now believers in Caesar's household. Who's his household? It's like the public service. A lot of them were slaves with great power, wealth, and authority because they were loyal to Caesar, not to the other Romans. That's why he chose these these slaves because they weren't Romans uh, they, they were beholding to him. And the gospel's gone to Caesar's household because Paul is in Rome. So, you know, I know I haven't given you strict breakdowns of the chapters. I'm a bit more chaotic like that. But that's, that's why we've got those, those last, uh, you know, from 21 to 28. There's so much more. And, and, and that's why I think you've got a worksheet. People can go through a Fourfields worksheet. You know, as you go through each chapter of Acts, you know, you're looking for what's what's the Lord doing here? What's Luke building on? And what does this mean for us today? That's fantastic, Steve. Thanks for that. That's a awesome overview and inspirational, actually. And um, just as as you you talked about the worksheet, um, how is how are people, especially people who are wanting to get caught up in the movement of God? How are they? How are they to read it, apply it? And you've got, you referred to the worksheet, which I see here. Um, I think it's a fantastic worksheet. It's a discovery uh, style worksheet where you identify how the gospel enters and what's the message and how they plant communities and and etc. Take us through a little bit of this worksheet and how a, it's a discovery process of reading the Book of Acts and how the worker can take that and just apply that in their lives yeah well it you know there are other patterns but it's acknowledging that as we look at the gospels and acts there are some patterns that every movement worker has has got to wrestle we all have to find out how are we going to connect with people and find the person of peace when we find them how how is the good news going to spread through their relational world? So that's the whole first piece. Second, how are they going to engage with the truth of God and his word and, and, and wrestle with a decision to, to, to become a follower of Jesus? And, and then how do we help someone grow in their discipleship, which is all about obeying the commands of Christ? Uh, and then how do we build Christian community around that? And don't wait till that box you start building community amongst the disciples. That's happening right at the beginning. But they're the different elements, the patterns of Jesus' ministry, the patterns of ministry in Acts. And then the final thing is how do we equip disciples to carry this on themselves without us? So there's some of the patterns. They don't all have to fit in a box at the right time, but it just helps you see those patterns in, in each chapter of the Gospels and Acts. 
But then there are some themes that pop up or keep recurring. You know, how do we see God at work here? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What about the obstacles and persecution? Some people just look for persecution. I think there are also obstacles that were, were, were faced that got in the way. You know, what are the various patterns that we see? Another pattern we see, uh, do we get a glimpse here in this chapter that, that this good news is going to the ends of the earth, that we want to see disciples in every place and amongst every people group? And then, of course, you know, uh, what, what am I learning through this chapter? Or it could be half a chapter. And then what will I do? And what's so important, you know, ideally you would do this from time to time together as a team or with others, and you would make sure that you're also engaged in the process yourself. So how am I going to connect? How am I going to find persons of peace? How will we look at the truth of God and his word together? Even even if it's sort of slow going or you're stubbing your toes or whatever, have a go as you're working through Acts. You'll find the learning will be so much more profound. And what you learn in, in Acts will help refine what you're doing in the field. Fantastic. And I'd really encourage you to have a look at this um, uh, discovery sheet and and download it and uh, uh, you can find it on uh movements.net and and uh yeah, associated with the book but just 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 read it and sit down with others and read the word and allow it to instruct you but instruct the activities and particularly what are the takeaways what, how has the holy spirit been speaking to me about what i need to do and some of the big ideas and then what what will I do? What's my obedience step this week? How do I how do I jump into uh, the harvest this week and see see the expansion of God's kingdom? Really great. Thanks, Steve. Steve, just as we finish up, um, again I want to encourage the listener. Steve is launching this book, uh, Acts and the Movement of God, and it's just come out and it's on sale. Um, how would you encourage or somebody, apart from going down and buying the book, to just run that race that God has for them where they are right now? Well, you know, my first thing that comes to mind is uh, a, a worker somewhere in the Middle East, in an um, Islamic country, uh, and her and her husband are just going out from community to community offering to pray for people. And they, they saw a guy with a, a, his leg in a cast sitting out the front of his house just sunning himself and drinking coffee, and they offered to pray for it. Um, and he thanked them, and then they moved on, but was it, well, come back and see how you're doing. Well, I'll shorten the story, but by the next day the guy's healed. <laughs> and, and he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, how did this happen? He said, I was healed in Jesus' name. And the, and the guy, because it was a, a, a militant controlled hospital and, and area, he just threw him out of the hospital, said, never come back. Um, that man was thrown out of his house as well as his wife by family members who were also extremists. And he went on the run to the mountains where he's, he's, he started making disciples and forming them into, you know, I think initially just three communities. And he's been on the run ever since. This has happened in the last 12 months. Uh, but wherever he goes, he makes disciples and forms them into communities of followers of Jesus. And all of that 
because, you know, this couple are in their early, early 20s, right? They're new, newly married. All of that because they just said, okay, it's a, an extremist controlled neighborhood. We're just going to go out and offer prayer to people and know what to do next if they're ready to put their faith in Jesus. And I'm thinking, I thought to myself as I wrote up that story we, we included in the book, I thought to myself, you know, you can do that anywhere in the world. I mean, you can, you can do it in Melbourne or Sydney or New York or Botswana somewhere. Um, all over the world, you can just step outside your door and offer to pray for someone and engage them in a, in a conversation to discern, are they ready for the next step? And I'd say, okay, that's my encouragement to us all. If you're in that ministry or you're thinking of getting into it or if you're in it and you feel like I'm going to step back for it, you know, take his word in the book of Acts and let it instruct and strengthen your resolve just to do what Jesus commanded. The Spirit comes upon you with power that we would be disciple makers to the ends of the earth, every place, every people group.